Welcome to the Compliance Perspectives Podcast. I'm Adam Turtletow from the Society of Corporate Compliance and Ethics and Healthcare Compliance Association. Joining us today from Connecticut is Jay Cohen. Jay is of counsel to the law firm of Giordano, Halloran, and Cisla. And today we're going to be talking about some recent court developments that came out of the state of Delaware that have likely a large impact on companies. First, Jay, thanks for taking time out of your morning to talk to us. Thanks for giving me the opportunity, Adam. I really appreciate it. And I appreciate everything that you and the society and your colleagues do for the compliance community. Oh, thank you. That's so kind. And I appreciate your calling this issue to attention, specifically the recent McDonald's case in uh, Delaware's Chancery Court, which potentially, as you point out, is a watershed event. But before we get to it, I think it might be good to start with a much earlier case, um, which is the Caremark decision. First, could you share with us what the court found in Caremark? Sure. And you're right to, to start the conversation there, because what we're ultimately going to talk about rests on Caremark. Caremark is one of the most significant milestones in the development of the organizational compliance function. It's a Delaware case from 1996 that formalized the responsibility of company directors to oversee regulatory compliance at their organizations. So according to Caremark, directors had a duty not just to oversee operations and finance at their companies, but also regulatory compliance. And this holding has had an impact well beyond just the corporate litigation context and has become a standard that companies of all shapes, sizes, and industries are expected to meet. And Caremark imposes two essential duties on companies which have driven the organizational compliance function on companies and their boards. The first is what's called the information system duty. And that is boards have to have a process in place to provide the directors with, on a regular basis with information about the company's compliance with laws and regulations. That's the first. And the second, the red flag duty, is an obligation on the part of directors to respond to indications that those laws and regulations are not being followed at the organization. Now, Caremark doesn't mean that a company must never have a compliance problem or that the response to those problems has to be perfect. But it does mean that organizations have to have compliance systems in place and that they cannot ignore problems. And these two essential holdings have helped to drive the development of the organizational compliance function as we know it today. It's had a huge impact, but now we have this new McDonald's case, which if I'm reading it right, seems to indicate the same duty of care for corporate officers. Is that correct? And you know, what does that mean in practice, especially for chief compliance officers? Yes, Adam, that is correct. The McDonald's case did two critical things. The first is what you just mentioned. It applied the Caremark duty to corporate officers as well as directors. So now company executives have the same compliance oversight responsibility regarding information systems, to gather information and provide timely reports about compliance with laws and regulations and red flags the officers have to respond to indications about compliance performance. And the court said that this duty applies to corporate executives within their area of responsibility. And that gets to the second 
thing that McDonald's did, which directly relates to compliance officers. This is where it gets really interesting because in explaining what it means by a corporate officer's area of responsibility, the court said the following, although the CEO and chief compliance officer likely will have company-wide oversight portfolios, other officers generally have a more constrained authority. Taken literally, this means that the chief compliance officer must have information systems in place to inform him or her about compliance across the organization and must, ad must address red flags about potential and actual problems involving any and all areas of the company. Think about this, this line in this opinion. Only the chief compliance officer is up there with the CEO and having company-wide Caremark oversight responsibility. In many companies today, the chief compliance officer may not have all of the authority, access, visibility, information, or stature to live up to this responsibility, leaving a huge gap between what the Caremark duty now expects and what actually happens within many organizations. That's a huge change. Now, let's talk briefly about another decision, which was the Marchand decision, which was, I think, a year or maybe two ago. Um, it's another Delaware case, which seemed to raise the bar higher than Caremark for directors by requiring more active oversight of compliance programs. Taken together, what do these cases uh, mean for compliance programs and chief compliance officers? That's a great point because the McDonald's case is built on a series of cases that, including Marchand, have made Caremark duties more important. It, it used to be said in Delaware that a plaintiff trying to win a Caremark case had the toughest job of any plaintiff in the Delaware courts, but that's no longer the case. Uh, Marchand, for example, as you pointed out, said that when it comes to mission critical compliance laws and regulations, the laws and regulations that are most important to a company based on what it does for a living, boards and now, thanks to McDonald, corporate executives and compliance officers have to be extra careful and extra diligent in their carrying out of these information systems and red flag duties. So more attention has to be paid in an organization with regard to mission critical compliance risks and the bar for corporate directors and corporate officers to meet has gotten higher. The second thing is that other cases in the Caremark realm have recently made it easier or more likely for plaintiffs to survive motions to dismiss and thus forcing companies to, to settle. Cases involving airplane manufacturers, drug companies, retailers, and I think this may surprise many when they think about Delaware corporate law, even private companies. This is not just an issue for public companies or companies in the most heavily regulated industries like financial services. Marchand itself involved a privately held food company and another Caremark case involved a private biopharma firm. So Caremark cases are harder for companies to win and the bar, at least when it comes to the most significant 
compliance risks has gotten higher. So if I'm a chief compliance officer, a general counsel, or other corporate officer, what should I be encouraging leadership to be doing differently? I think at least three things in answer to that question. The first is to elevate the level, the role, the stature, the authority, and the access of the chief compliance officer, to give the chief compliance officer a meaningful seat at the table. Now, Adam, your audience is well aware of the long debate that's gone on and continues to go on today in the compliance community about whether the chief compliance officer should report directly to the CEO or whether it's acceptable for the CCO to, to report to the general counsel. I think these developments are going to have an impact on that debate, but I'll say this. The implications of these cases can and should be addressed in organizations regardless of where the chief compliance officer reports. In my time as a CCO, I always reported to, to the legal team, and I'd like to think that we did just fine and had an effective compliance uh, program nonetheless. But whether you report to the general counsel, to the CFO, or to the CEO, you've got to have a meaningful seat at the table. That's the first thing. The second thing is I think companies have to look at recruiting and empowering maybe a, um, a different kind of CCO or building a different kind of, of compliance team, not just legal and regulatory subject matter experts, but people with the leadership skills to take their places in that C-suite and to make the most out of that seat at the table and deal with all the challenges and hurdles and skeptics that are gonna come with it. Building a compliance team with a variety of skills and backgrounds to meet the challenge. And then the third thing, and, and this is something that's already been going on in the compliance community, but I think it's going to be going to be driven even faster and further because of these cases. Compliance programs have to be built around impact as well as activities. Companies, if you take Marchand at its word with regard to mission critical compliance risks, more than anything else, your compliance program has to identify and address the most important compliance risks to your organization and apply a consistent approach to each. What are the compliance risks that apply to our company? What are the key risk drivers that are gonna make that risk go up or down? What information do we generate either within compliance or within the business that's going to help us understand those key risk indicators and our compliance performance around those risks. What controls do we have in place, not just in compliance, but in the business to manage those mission critical risks? How are we doing and how do we know? So I think if you take these cases at their word, compliance programs have to be built around risk. What are the mission critical compliance risks for this company based on what we do for a living, how we do it, and where we do it. Well, it does tend to always go back about risk. And a lot of the points you made there about having the metrics in place certainly uh, dovetails well with what the DOJ has been saying in its guidances of late. So finally, Jay, uh, what do these and other recent developments pretend for the role of the chief compliance officer? I think we're on the verge of what could be the next major transformation in the role and stature of com 
of chief compliance officers. And I say that because of the Caremark developments that we've just been talking about, and also because of the DOJ developments that you just referenced in your question, Adam. The Justice Department has made clear that it will do everything it can to empower compliance programs and expect that, that chief compliance officers have all of the information and the access and the influence that they need to address legal and regulatory compliance. And one of the ways they've done that recently is to require in connection with resolutions of corporate prosecutions that both the chief compliance officer and the CEO certify in writing to the design of the compliance program going forward. Here's what the DOJ has said with regard to this certification requirement. It is our effort to empower the gatekeepers, the compliance officers, and those who report to him or her in the different business lines. So like the McDonald's case, the DOJ wants to put the chief compliance officer right up there alongside the CEO and put his or her personal integrity and reputation on the line. And while this certification is not yet as broad as the quarterly certification that came out of Sarbanes-Oxley for chief financial officers, it could be the start of the trend. So I think if you take these developments together, I think a strong case can be made that chief compliance officers will increasingly be expected to join chief financial officers and other C-suite executives in the small group of people who help run their organizations day to day. Well, that'll be a very interesting development to see and certainly a change from where we were just a few years ago where compliance was still a what's that and why do we need it function. Well, Jay, thank you for sharing these insights with us today. I want to thank all of you for taking the time to listen. I'm Adam Chertletow from SCCE and HCCA. I hope we're able to expand your compliance perspective.